It's great to see you all. I'll be honest, this is not the environment I wanted to see you in. Uh, Liz and I have been talking about this for about six months and put different dates on the calendar. And I've always been wishing and looking forward to actually getting to be in your sanctuary, in your space. And so this is not the way we wanted to do it, but this is the way we're doing it. And thanks for showing up. Um, I think one of the realities of this season is that for those of us who are in churches, um, your church, my church, none of us is liking church <laughs> a whole lot like this. Um, I really miss just getting to see people and touch them and be in the same space with them. So thank you for the chance just to be with y'all. Uh, over the past couple of years, um, Liz is the master of understatement. A few things have happened in the past couple of years, uh, but it's been really fun to to peek in on you from time to time. Uh, Liz is a dear friend and a good colleague, and I appreciate the way that she prays for me and invites me to pray for you all, and it's been a real joy. I love that we partner together with Ryla and that we've been partnering together with this Church, of, church at Work um, as we provide some rent assistance for folks in Arlington County. It's neat just to see when our paths cross, especially in mission. Um, so you guys have such a good heart and vision for that. I like to see where you are seeing and to come alongside and just cheer and say, great job. You are really creative in the way you are loving our neighbors uh, around you. So thanks. Liz asked if I would provide a little prompt for the kids. And uh, so I would love, as we come into the story, if you are a kid, kid at heart, um, maybe start thinking about what do you imagine a sheep fold looks like? Those are two weird words that we don't often put together, sheep and fold. And so you might be thinking like a piece of paper and you're going to fold it. And like, how are you going to stick a sheep in here? I'd love for you to figure it out. So if you are a kid, what is a sheep fold look like in your mind? And, and especially, how do you get in and out of that sheep fold? Like, is there a door? Is there a gate? What's it look like? Is there a big bridge, perhaps a moat? Um, you can design it however you want, sort of create it however you want. But as you have that going, um, there's going to be parts of the story I'm about to tell you that you can just listen to while you're working on your sheep fold. So I want, I'm going to read the gospel in just a second from John 10, but I actually want to read one verse, tell you a story, then read the rest of it. There's this spot right in verse 6 in the middle of John 10, and it says, This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. And I want to tell you that some of my absolute favorite stories, the favorite Jesus stories, are the ones that are so familiar to us. And this one, as soon as I start reading it, you're going to recognize, you're like, yep, that's familiar to us. But they made utterly no sense at all to those who heard it straight from our Lord's mouth. And those stories that made no sense to them, but are now so familiar to us, they're usually weighted with such deep theological insight that we actually miss sometimes the little cues that the gospel writers would write in to remind us that the disciples had really missed it. Like they had no idea what he was talking about. And we'll just scoot right over these verses like Jesus used this figure of speech, but they had, did not understand what he was saying to them. And I've been in those conversations. Like I know what it's like to be Jesus on this side of the conversation where you're trying to explain something to someone or you feel like you have this great word picture that you're putting together 
and you're wondering, are they really getting it? And you might actually ask them, do you understand what I'm saying? And they make it worse because they say yes, when really they feel like, no, I really don't know what you're talking about. A few weeks ago, we were having dinner in the midst of the coronavirus as a family. And one of the benefits of the coronavirus is that we've actually had more family dinners ever. And some of them are good. Some of them are a little bit more challenging. This one was more challenging. And I actually looked at one of my kids and I said to this kid, I want you to stop treating your sibling with disdain. D-I-S-D-A-I-N. I want you to stop treating your kid with disdain. And to my offending kid's credit, he's like, dad, I have no idea what you're talking about. What does this word disdain mean? And I was so disappointed because it was like the perfect word for the way my kid was treating the other kid. And, and all I could sort of come up with is like a restatement was, you know, kind of disdainful. Like, stop being disdainish. Like, stop it. Now, for the record, to be disdainful is to treat someone like as if they are not worthy of your consideration, to treat them with contempt, like her upper lip curled in disdain. Ironically, this word disdain actually shows up a lot during the gospel readings for Holy Week. And there was this moment of redemption where we're listening to one of the gospel readings in Holy Week about Jesus being treated with disdain and the offending kid looks at me, he's like, oh, 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 I get it. Yeah, that's what disdain is. All that to say, to say that we get the beauty of John 10 because the disciples had no idea what Jesus was talking about. If they had gotten it, Jesus might not have restated it and reframed it and repictured it as many times as he did. But because they missed it, we actually get a real clear picture of what Jesus wanted them to get. So this is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John chapter 10. We're going to start in verse one. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. They will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Jesus, thank you that you have sought us and looked for us, that you are the kind of shepherd who searches us out until we are found. 
and then you bring us to places of abundance and goodness. May we experience some of those places tonight. Amen. Okay. I just want to think with you a little bit about how Jesus uses this image to describe himself. So he starts off in verses one through six with really just a description of a well-run sheep pen. And if you are one of the kids who's sort of imagining what a sheep fold looks like or a sheep pen or a sheep little space, like he's going to describe this is what a well-run sheep fold looks like. Now, there's a gatekeeper. And what makes the gatekeeper special is he's the one who knows the shepherds. He recognizes the shepherds who are coming and he lets them in. There is a shepherd as well. And the shepherd knows and is known by the sheep. In this particular sheep fold, there are thieves and robbers who don't know the sheep. They are the, the chaotic elements that threaten from the outside but are not allowed in. They're not allowed in because it's actually a well-run sheepfold. Now, you know the shepherd is the shepherd because he actually shows up at the front door. There's no trickery from the shepherd. There's no manipulation, no guile. He belongs there. He knows it, and he strolls right in through the front door, and everyone is glad to see him. The sheep sort of perk up. The gatekeeper gives a hearty, how do? How you doing? Glad you're here. The shepherd is here, and the sheep are going to get what they need. That's what it means when the shepherd shows up. All of their needs are about to be ticked off and met. They hear his voice. He calls them each by name. He goes out in front of them so that he can see what is coming first and so that they can know where they are going. There's comfort, assurance, because the shepherd is there. There are also elements of danger, and Jesus is not afraid to remind us that there are thieves, robbers, and strangers that there are these chaotic elements. And if they come in, they're not coming in by the front door. They will be coming in by a way that is unexpected and secret. It will feel manipulative and untoward. There are strangers who provide no comfort at all. Their voice is not known. They have no catalog of names by which to address the sheep. The sheep is a comfort. The shepherd is a comfort in the midst of danger because he knows how to be known in the midst of anonymity, because his sheepfold, even though it's not devoid of danger, it's well run because those elements have been identified and kept out. The scene is bucolic. You can see green grass. You can see the stone walls of the pen. You can see the wood of the gate, the tall shepherd, the woolly sheep, their affection and exuberance. I imagine that they're jumping up and down as they see him come up. And then you see the glassy-eyed stares of his disciples. Perhaps a bit of drool as they listen and wonder what the heck is he talking about. Jesus is actually full of anticipation. He is so excited at what he's just described. Can you believe it? This is a well-run sheepfold. And their expression is just, huh? Huh? What are you describing? Who cares that it seems ordered and well-run? They did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus pivots his pronouns, and instead of talking about he, he begins to talk about me. And this is the way Jesus explains his stuff the best. 
verse 7, he says, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door of the sheep. Get it? And I can hear him saying it, and I can hear the disciples sort of nodding their head, nope, we don't. You're a door? And Jesus like, hang on, hang on. I'm not saying like I'm really a door. It's more like an entrance. I'm an entrance. I'm an entrance to salvation. And if you enter by me, you will get saved. This is what I mean by salvation. Because he knew they were going to get that either. This is what I mean by salvation. And I want you to picture it. I've described it for you, but, but now I'm going to help you picture it one more time. It's like those sheep going back and forth to find pasture. That's what I mean by salvation. As they walk back and forth through this gate, they don't have a care in the world. They could be whistling if sheep could whistle. They're strolling from protected to provided, from what feels like a fortress stronghold to what feels like a verdant buffet, from warm bed to full table, from security to sated. Salvation is that. It's that experience of being watched and satisfied. And I'm, I'm the entrance. I'm how you enter into that kind of abundance. If you enter by me, that's what you get. That's what it means to have me as a shepherd. Then he asks him just to lean in a little bit. He's like, come here. You got to hear this just a little bit closer. I get it. I know I'm not the first person to offer abundance in life. I'm not the first person who's brought this particular message. I know there's been lots of fakes before me. And sometimes the fakes make it hard to trust the real thing. And maybe you're wondering if I'm the real thing. You know, the fakes, they make those bold promises. I can hear them. They promise to you security and greatness, companionship, clout. I've heard their words. I've watched the way they pitch their pitch. Money will make you feel secure. Title will make you feel great. Sex will make you feel not alone. Diplomas and decrees will make you feel important. You can hear them echoing in your mind even now, like the, like the lingering taste of a peppercorn that didn't get pulled out of the soup. And you know, and you know that when you went in and out of those offerings, the offerings that the fakes brought you, well, you know that the only gate that they were leading you to was to a place where they could steal and kill and destroy. So I get it. I know that other people have pitched this, but here's how I'm different. And he starts in verse 11. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. Good shepherds lay down their life. They are materially different. Sheepfolds have always someone to be present. The shepherd can't be there all the time. So if you want to know what the shepherd's like, it's sometimes easier to compare him to what he's not. You know that the shepherd can't be at the sheepfold all the time. Like having a sheepfold is kind of like owning a restaurant. It takes lots of hours. You need somebody who can manage the shop while you go home and have dinner with your family every once in a while. So in the sheepfold, in the sheepfold ecosystem, there are occasionally hired workers. You know, they know how to care for the sheep, but they don't own the sheep. They know the dangers to sheep, but they're not going to die for the sheep. They want 
and they need the paycheck, they'll do a good job, but the sheep aren't theirs. And that's not me. I'm the owner of the sheep. When things are going well, others can tend the sheep pen. When things are going great, almost anybody can watch the sheep. But when things get hard, or when the nights get long, or the situation seems dangerous, I'm the shepherd who loves the sheep. And I will sit with them through their anxiety and fear. I will stand between them and the wolf. And I will not leave until the wolf dies or goes away. You will know that I am different because I will hold nothing back. I'll lay down my life rather than flee for my life. And I will do so so that entrance gate stays open. Nobody has ever done that before. And nobody will ever do it again. The sheep do not exist for the shepherd. The shepherd is present and willing and able for the sheep. I know my own, and my own know me, and I will lay down my life for them. About 30 years after he said that, Peter was writing to Jesus' followers in Asia Minor. And he was writing to sheep who were experiencing some pretty tough trials and suffering and persecution. You've been reading that as you read through 1 Peter. He doesn't hold back. He's real clear. I know things are tough. I know you are tempted to walk away from this. I know you're, you've been suffering. But Jesus has been, or Peter's been thinking for about 30 years about what it means that Jesus called himself a shepherd, the shepherd, the good shepherd. And so he comes to his folks whom Peter now loves, the people who are in his churches, the ones whom he's teaching and leading and mentoring. They're still sheep, and Peter is still longing for them to trust the shepherd. And what he says to them here at the beginning of chapter two is don't lean on those tools of of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. You're Jesus' sheep, and even if you're Jesus' sheep, I know that when pain comes and when the trials are really acute and when it's hard, you're going to be real tempted to grab the things that the thieves and the robbers use because it seems effective. You're going to think envy will work and slander will help and deceit will get you out of it, but don't do it. Don't choose that. Those kinds of things don't fit through the gate that the good shepherd provides to abundant life. They actually poison what's on the other side. They kill the grass. They make the water undrinkable. If you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, if you've known the lighthearted comfort of Jesus for the good shepherd, then long for pure spiritual milk and put all that garbage of bad-mouthing hypocrisy away. Grow up. Grow up. Grow up into this salvation that he's inviting you to enter. Grow up and go in and out in the abundance that Jesus brings. Like his teacher, G- Peter's actually willing to, to restate for effect. He, and he puts it like this. As you come to Jesus, you're going to find him to be a living stone. He's either going to be a rock that makes you trip, or he's going to be a rock that you put into place and that makes everything else fall into order. As you come to him, Jesus is either going to be the rock that makes you stumble or he will be the cornerstone of a firm foundation of abundance forever. 
It's either one or the other. And in a moment of compassionate clarity, Peter says, I know there's lots of you that are stumbling out there, but that's not who you really are. You stumble because you don't know how much you are loved and you forget the words that Jesus has given. You forget that Jesus, the good shepherd, has set his word as the cornerstone of your life. And now you are his. You're chosen. You're his own possession. Like Jesus said, he knows your name. He know, you know his voice. You are his recipient of, of his mercy and trophies of grace. Once you weren't, but now you are. You're his. Once you hadn't, but now you have received mercy. You are his. And in his well-ordered sheepfold, there is no trickery. There is no manipulation. There is no guile. It is straightforward. Follow me. Lose your life and you will find it. In his well-ordered sheepfold, we, we perk up in his presence. We, we don't know always what it will be, but we know when the shepherd shows up, he's bringing what we need. So we perk up in his presence because when the shepherd shows up, he's bringing what we need. And in his well-ordered sheepfold, we trust his protection. That the chaotic elements are out there, but he will stand between us and them until they go away, until we are protected, until we find safe harbor in the life that he has promised us and when he makes all things new. It's what it's like to leave, live in the sheepfold with that kind of a good shepherd. You are his. Let me pray for us. Father, Thank you for your son, Jesus. He is such a good shepherd. And each time we come to this image, we learn a little bit more about the kind of abundance and life that he has for us. Father, thank you for your spirit who lives in us and reminds us that we are never alone. And thank you even as for that Good Friday prayer that Jesus is the one who puts himself between our souls and our sin so that we experience the mercy and grace of our Father in heaven, now and in the age to come, and for life everlasting. Amen. As we sit in silence for a moment and let God's word speak to us, we invite the Holy Spirit to fill us. And I want to invite you just to think and to ask God to remind you when did you experience abundance this week? When did he give you what you need? And maybe in a way you weren't expecting it, but when did God's abundance, when was, did it show up and when was it present to you?